Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. and dreams and concerns right now and this is this thing of ISIS and you know Muslims and my friend Trump is saying we should you know not let all, any Muslim in for until we figure this whole thing out and you know and the other day I was um, I was going on Fox television the Maria Bartiromo show and generally I speak on money and money issues and instead they asked me about being Muslim <laughs> I said you know I'm not Muslim, but I am Japanese. And the reason there's a correlation between Muslim and Japanese was I was born after World War II, and on my mother's side of the family, they were they had everything taken from them. The U.S. government took everything from them and shipped them off to these internment camps. And so by the time I was born, the prejudice against Japanese was very, 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 very strong, very strong. I remember when I was on my way to Vietnam, here I'm a U.S. Marine going to Vietnam. I'm in California, liberal California, and I go to apply for rent, and I knock on the door of the landlord or the person taking the rent, and they said, we don't rent to Japs here. You know, So I understand, but I'm not Muslim. But anyway, that's what I told um, Maria. I said, you know, I understand that there's a lot of reaction in all this. You know, Trump says that. I think foolish comment about keeping Muslims out, but his ratings go from 30% to 38%. So today we're discussing that, but more importantly, what can you do? We need better understanding between, you know, Muslims and everybody else and different religions and races and all that. We need to understand each other better. And also, what can you do? I mean, what can you do in case you're at a Christmas party and somebody whips out an AK or an AR and starts shooting? What do you do? So it's going to be a full-blown program. We have three different guests. And our first guest today, ironically, is my doctor. And I ran into him at the television station because he was going out as I was coming in to talk about, I thought, money, but I talked about the Muslim thing. So I wanted to have uh, Dr. Sudi Jasser. He is the founder and president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy, AIFD. So he's a leader on this thought. He's been on CNN, CBS, Fox, MSNBC, and BBC. So he's well-versed. He's an American Muslim. He's also like me. He served in the U.S. Navy. I served in the U.S. Marine Corps. So we have an American, or he has an American point of view on this issue with ISIS and Muslim and hatred and discrimination. And like I said, you know, they want to lock people out and put them in internment camps. And what else are we going to do? It's, it's back to race phobia, whatever you would call it, xenophobia. So welcome to the program, Dr. Jasser. Oh, it's great to be with you, Robert. Uh, yeah. This issue is so central to freedom, to our protection, our security. Thanks for uh, having me. What What is your point of view? You know, number one on ISIS, what do they want? What are they doing? How dangerous are cells? 
And what do you think of my friend Trump? You know, I mean, those are, and I speak freely because I, that's what I want here. Well, I'll tell you, Robert, you know, I think our country from both sides of the spectrum uh, is unfortunately using the Muslim issue to pander to voters and trying to get some poll numbers. And and they're both doing the same thing, Hillary and Trump, uh, sort of the the Trump-Clinton phenomena of looking at Islam as one monolith. So the left with Hillary, uh, take her talking points from the Qatar Foundation and sort of the power structure in Islam, that Islam is perfect, it's peaceful, let's not offend them, let's not call it radical Islam. That sort of lets the uh, uh, um, theocrats off the hook. It doesn't allow reformists to have a seat at the table, and it doesn't look at the problem because uh, the ISIS's of the world don't come out of thin air. They're coming from the, the boot camps and the cauldrons of the countries like Saudi Arabia and Iran and Egypt of the Muslim Brotherhood, where you have hundreds of millions of people involved in political movements, some of which end up in violent extremism like ISIS, but others are part of the milieu of radicalization, as we saw with these folks in San Bernardino. Uh, They didn't just all of a sudden get weapons and wear the uniform of ISIS. They were wearing the jersey of ISIS for a while, sort of being part of the team for years, uh, and we were finding out since 2012, and the Muslim community has not been engaged. So you look at the comments like from Mr. Trump, that's the other side of the equation, which is, again, to look at Islam as one monolith, that we're not diverse, that we don't have debates going on, that there's no Muslims that can be part of the solution, and say, let's just shut down immigration. And I have said, as an American Muslim, that we should put a pause on all immigration till we start to vet for jihadist ideology. But for a a presidential uh, applicant to say that ultimately uh, um, just Muslims, you're actually, Robert, taking the strongest weapon that we have in America, which is our warriors for freedom, our warriors of the Muslim community who can push back and say that we need to reform and we need to counter these ideas. And what you're doing is surrendering. So both Hillary and Trump, in their uh, pandering in some ways, are, are surrendering to the, the very ideology and saying, well, then ISIS dominates Muslims and let's just forget it and shut down America. And that's it's really against what the founding fathers did when they pushed back against theocracy back in the 18th century. That's fantastic. But what is your point of view? How does it feel as a, an American Muslim when your whole being, you know, your spiritual beliefs and all that are criticized under attack and discriminated against and misunderstood? Yeah, yeah I can't tell you. I, I sort of, my heart breaks. You know, I served my country 11 years as a naval officer. I feel that uh, this country has not only the beacon of liberty, and it's based on an immigrant ideology. My parents escaped persecution in Syria in the 60s and came here because we could practice our faith more freely than any place in the world. And I see sort of the sentiment growing in popularity, which is nativist, which is not really what America stands for. And I think it's... uh, it's based on the lack of leadership. If we had better leadership in the White House that, and in media and elsewhere that would begin to say, listen, we want to love our Muslim communities, but do it in a tough way and demand that they reform but not alienate them because that is surrender. And I just haven't seen that. And, you know, I, I've talked to my kids in the evening about, you know, our country is going through it's a test and this is a challenge. So as much as I'm offended by some of the comments Trump makes, I think in some ways it's helping our country come to terms with some of this nativism that is never, never helpful. Right. So, what, you know, what happened to my family? Like I said, I was born after World War II, but my, I had seven uncles. We mobilized. I mean, I had seven uncles go to fight. You know, they said, we're going to prove we're Americans. 
And some went to Europe and two went to Japan. One got captured by the Japanese and he never forgave the Japanese what they did to him. He was was part of the Bataan Death March. And he died going after those guys that locked him up. So that is the power of this. It's terrible. What is this? Do you have any solutions? Because this is my concern there, Sudi. You cannot keep out an ideology. In other words, you cannot say we're not going to let people in because the ideology of ISIS comes in from everywhere. It's porous, you know, from the web and television and radio and friends and all this. You can't keep them out. World War II is not this war, and that's a very different war. Exactly, Robert. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and it's just like in free markets, right? If you have corrupt businesses, you don't uh, uh, shut them down. You beat them in the free market through the antiseptic of sunlight and free markets. So in a free market of ideas, if Americans think that we can solve asynchronous warfare and terrorism um, by shutting down and changing who we are, that's exactly why asynchronous warfare is so effective, because the, the threat that we pose to ISIS is not a military one. Uh, they will take as much suicide as they want in order to destroy who we are. The threat is ideological. So we need to employ, we have a Muslim reform movement that rolled out in Washington last week that included 14 signatories of different organizations that our organization convened. And we said, listen, here's a two-page declaration of the Muslim reform movement. We stand for the separation of mosque and state. We stand for the equality of men and women. We stand against violent jihad. We stand against uh, apostasy laws, blasphemy laws, and say that we recognize these ideas need reform within the house of Islam. We recognize that political Islam and this sort of Islamo-nationalism fervor, if you will, is the root cause of violent Islamism. So these things, we, we put this as a strategy that media, governments, Department of Defense, and others should engage in figuring out who are our allies and who are our enemies. And until we do that and have a strategy, an ideological strategy, like we did in the Cold War, uh, we're not going to get anywhere but continue this sort of uh, destruction of our core identity while we continue just a military program, which is sort of a whack-a-mole program. Right. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Today we're talking about ISIS, Islam, being um, Muslim, and being an American. Our guest today, we have three different guests, but our first guest today is Dr. Sudi Jasser. He is the president and founder of American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's also a U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. So is there anything, you know, what, my quick question, you know, Indonesia had the, the Muslims of Indonesia had this big campaign to make a video statement of what Islam is. I think most people don't understand what Muslims and, and Islam is, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and this is the issue. is We need to have a national conversation. I mean, our country was founded on conversations about religion and the, the development of a Bill of Rights whose First Amendment was an establishment clause. Americans uh, know that our first, our first freedom is religious liberty. So uh, that is our best weapon against ISIS. So let's have a conversation about which Islam is dominating, who's Islam, and, you know, we can't do the bromides of, well, Islam is peaceful, so let's just forget it, because that's not going to solve the problem. And we also can't just sort of blindly uh, say that uh, all Muslims uh, are the problem. So bottom line is, is we, I'd ask your, your listeners to, to engage our Muslim reform movement. Go to our website at AIFdemocracy.org and look at our declaration print it out, take it to your local mosque, talk to your Muslim friends about that declaration. If they believe in those principles and want to work with us to drive a movement of reform, no different than our founding fathers, you know, our founding fathers were not priests, uh, they were laity that 
loved their faith of Christianity and understood that theocracy was a problem. Muslims are going through that same time in history, so it's not just the, the little uh, acts of violence that are barbaric, but uh, are, are simply a symptom of a deeper disease that we see through Saudi Arabia, Iran, Pakistan, Egypt. That reform can start and has to start in America because we have the laboratory of freedom to do that. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your um, comments, your viewpoint. And also, he's a great medical doctor. So our next guest is Jason Hansen. He is a former CIA agent, and he is now the founder of Spy Escape and Evasion. You may have seen him on Shark Tank. Damon John became his shark that believed in his, his cause and his mission and his business. And so we're going to talk to Jason as a former CIA agent to find out what you can do just in case you get into trouble, because this is not a traditional military war. As I was saying to Sudi Jasser, my doctor, it's not like World War II where you could bomb a city and bridges and harbors and all this stuff. This is an ideology. It's a theology. It's, it's, it's philosophy. And so some of the best ways to fight it is with thought, not with guns and bullets. But in case you get caught, you may need to do something different. So Jason Hansen has written a book called Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. Being a CIA agent, I'm sure he's had to escape and evade a number of times. So welcome to the program, Jason. Thank you. My pleasure. So what do you think about all of this stuff with San Bernardino, Paris, um, you know, the knocking down of a jet and all that stuff and what's going on? What do you think? So, you know, we are incredibly blessed to live in this area, in this country, which is much safer than a lot of places in the world. But it's almost lulled us into that false sense of security. Right. And as so, and let, me, let me go back a little bit further. What is your training or experience with the CIA? Sure. So what I do now is I do a lot of stuff I did. So I do escape innovation. I do firearms training. I do anti-kidnapping training carjacking. So pretty much anything and everything to keep people safer on a daily basis. But what did you do with the CIA before you became an entrepreneur and things like that? Well, security and protection work. So I'm I'm purposely being vague because obviously the agency doesn't like you to give away certain things and I don't want to have a talk with their lawyers. So I did (laughs) stuff to keep people safe is the, the best way I'll put it. So they don't kill me or they don't kill you, one or the other. And they do kill people, I know. Because Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I first ran into you guys back in 1966 in a place called Sadaheep, Thailand. And this was I was a student for the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. I'm in this bar, and there's all these guys, and they're like 35, 40 years old, you know, and I'm going, are you guys Army? And they go, no. Are you Air Force? Uh, no. Marine Corps? Uh, no. And they live in this nice house, and they have lots of little girlfriends and all this. I keep, I kept, they wouldn't say a damn thing. And finally, the first engineer on board my mer- we were merchant ships carrying 750, 500, 1,000-pound bombs to Thailand, getting ready to go into Vietnam. And the first engineer just hit me in the gut, and he goes, you stupid little kid. I was 19 years old. Don't you recognize CIA? Don't you recognize <laughs> them? They don't, they're not going to tell you anything. And I said, I said, well, what are they doing here? They're starting a war. I went, how do you start a war? <laughs> and he knit, he hit me in the uh, gut and uh, the ribs again. Said, shut up, drink your beer, and let's go home. So anyway, I understand. <laughs> so it's so, a lot easier to start a war than you'd think, unfortunately. Oh, I don't doubt that, you know. 
So anyway, um, given that you can't say anything anyway, what are you training people to do now then? So yeah, as I mentioned, now I'm training people on all this stuff they need. So the anti-kidnapping, so I work with a lot of CEOs and executives traveling the world. And now, thanks to Shark Tank, I'm teaching pretty much your next-door neighbor. So they want to take the firearms training. They want to take the escape and evasion training. So everybody wants to feel safe. Right. And in your book, you know, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, I, I, I apologize. I just got it yesterday, but I started going into it. And you have seven rules, right? Correct. And you have one I think is really, really good. It's called Be Self-Reliant. Well, yeah. absolutely. That's the number one thing. So I am huge on self being self-reliant, taking care of yourself. Right. You know what, 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 I, what I say to these wimps and losers, they're like, well, I have rights, man. I have rights. The government should protect me. I said, yeah, you have rights, but you also have responsibilities. You know, and the government can't protect you. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, I'd 100% agree with that. And my big thing is the more self-reliant you are, the more uh, good you can do in this world. So if you're you know, somebody has nothing, can't help anybody else, you're a deadbeat on welfare, not because of a good reason, maybe you're, and I say good as in you're physically disabled, legitimate reason, but you're some bum, then you can't help people. You don't have the money to go out and maybe help someone in need. But if you're self-reliant, you can take care of yourself, then you can also take care of others. So that's another reason why I'm huge on it. Right. Well, it's kind of off the off the beaten track. You know, my buddy is Trump, and he's uh, he was at thirty percent. Then he made that comment about keeping Muslims out. He was at thirty eight percent now. What is your rate that's going on inside the psychographics of Americans? Are they really afraid? Yes, they are one hundred percent afraid. The whole Muslim thing, I strongly disagree with Trump, but I also know he's a brilliant modern day P.T. Oh. Barnum, so he's doing it for a reason. He is um, smart. He is smart with the public polling, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guys, he, you know, he's playing right in the hands. He knows what he's doing. He's no idiot. Yeah, they, they, so, they, Maria Bartiromo. They, they said, "Why don't you call Trump?" I said, "He'll call me if he needs some advice." But I think he's doing pretty good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not with the whole anti-Muslim crowd at all. But my customers just come and say, "Listen, I've got a gut feeling that you know we know things are having bad, and I want this training." So. They say, of course, the chances of me being kidnapped or me being carjacked are slim. I just want to know this stuff. Right. So everybody has that uncomfortable feeling inside them, and they want to be prepared even though they hope it never happens. Right. So what do you, what do you say about being self-reliant? Well, from the CIA context, you've got to be very resourceful and be able to think on your feet. Because if you're out there by yourself with no backup, you've got to be able to come up with anything and everything to get yourself out of a jam. Um, as it applies to the average person now, when I think of self-reliancy, I think of if somebody breaks into your home at 3 a.m. in a home invasion, are you able to grab that gun and stop them or grab whatever weapon you've chosen? If your car breaks down and you're 10 miles from the nearest place and maybe you don't have cell phone access, you have your 72-hour kit in the back of your car. Yeah, I like that. Sh- yeah, I, and you're in good enough shape that you can hump that 10 miles. Yeah, so, I read, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, we, we used to call them go kits. You know, they're yes. basically a small backpack with food and water and whatever else you need, like a shovel and an axe and a hand-generated phone or radio, right, or something like that? Absolutely. I mean, I've got a satellite phone in the back of my car just because I live in a small area of southern Utah. But, yeah, so it all comes down to having these things where we know the government's not going to take care of you, nor do they want to, and I promise you that, whether people <laughs> want to hear it or not. So can you take care of yourself and wait for the government to show up three or four days later? That's what I'm trying to say. Right. I got caught in a shootout in the woods last summer in uh, Pine Top, Arizona, and it took the police two hours to show up. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I was just talking to a a New Orleans police officer 
who said in New Orleans the average response time is 74 minutes now. Jeez. What else could, would you say to people right now, given your uh, experience as a CIA uh, agent and a founder of Spy Escape and uh, the author of the book, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life? And what else would you say to people? One of the easiest things, and we can all start practicing this, is be observant. So when you're with a CIA, you may have to know little things of what color on the paint is the house. Do they have a trampoline in the back? You know, all this stuff that the normal person does not need. But on a daily basis, you can be more observant of who's coming in and out of this grocery store. You know, your head should not be buried in that cell phone because obviously you can't see that gunman walk in and start shooting up in the place. But if you're more observant, if you're thinking like a spy and you have your head up and you're observing people, you can see that guy walk in with that coat in the middle of summer that doesn't look right and get your family out of there. Well, so let me, people let, need to have their you know, people need to have their heads up. Right, but you know, all these guys who've been shooting people, the guy in Connecticut, and that this guy who just shot the abortion clinic and all that, and the people in San Bernardino, don't they look like whack jobs anyway? A lot of them do. I mean, that's the thing is uh, people give off signs. You know, a lot of times they're sweating or something's wrong. You can tell they've got that thousand-yard stare where they're about to do something very wrong. So there are those signs. But because 99% of Americans have their head buried in some type of electronic device, they don't see these people walking around. So once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Day Radio Show. We're talking about ISIS and what you can do. And, and our guest from the second part of our program is Jason Hansen former CIA agent, founder of Spy Escape and uh, Evasion. So let me ask you this. What do you train, you know, fat old guys like me, how to escape and evade? <laughs> sure. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. So the number one way that people are abducted and kidnapped all over the world is duct tape. So I teach you very easily how to escape duct tape. Um, I teach you how to escape rope, how to pick locks, how to escape handcuffs. So I've trained ages 9 to 77. You don't have to be in any great shape to be able to get out of a dangerous situation. Right. You also train people how to shoot, right? I do. I offer several different pistol courses. And these are basically what I, one of the courses I have is a terrorist response training course where we're doing this stuff of, heaven forbid, that guy walks into the Walmart or wherever you could be, here's the action you need to take with your gun to make sure you disable and disarm him. You also have to know the rules, right? I mean, the laws before you pull your gun, too. That is absolutely correct. You've got to know deadly force law. Yeah. And very, you know, in a nutshell, it's are you in fear for your life or serious bodily injury? Right. And if you right. are, by all means, you can shoot, stab, do whatever you needed to survive. So let me ask you this. Let's say I'm at my Christmas party and some um, guy walks in. What would you do? Well, what does this guy walk in with? Does he have something? I mean, is he walking in with a well, gun you know, and a knife? Uh, you know, as we used to say in the Marine Corps, your ass is grass. <laughs> <laughs> So what I'm going to do, let's say I'm at a Christmas party and some guy walks in with an AK-47. I am going to draw my gun, charge him, and shoot him. So the Israelis, because they're surrounded by people who want to blow them up, they are very well trained in this, where they're trained to swarm the shooter. Whereas the Americans do the wrong thing. We run away or we obey them. And, you know, when they ask, hey, what religion are you? We tell them our religion. And then they kill us. <laughs> so we need to flip that switch in our heads is if that guy enters your Christmas party, you are rushing him, shooting him, stabbing him, doing whatever you needed to take him down. As soon as you know the guy is armed. Correct. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you see that crazy person walk in and you know they're about to do something, absolutely take him out. 
Well, that's why they need your training, because coming up next is we're going to talk about how we can defeat ISIS. We have a former Green Beret coming up. But what Jason is talking about here, because I, you know, I carry a gun. I'm a former Marine. I have guns in all my cars. I have a, uh, what I call a go kit. What do you call it? What do you call your kit? A 72-hour bag? So, yeah, I mean, I call mine an escape bag, but most yeah. people call them a 72-hour kit. And my wife thinks I'm a whack job because she says, well, if somebody <laughs> – no, she says, well, somebody comes in, I'll talk them out of it. I'm going, if they come in, they're probably crazy by this time. You know what I mean? They've already gone off the edge. Correct. And yeah. that's why I like what you say. You've got you've to know what you're going to do before you have to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing is most people never think about that situation. Right. But the way my brain works is when I'm going into the mall, I've already thought, what if I'm in the mall and I see a shooter today? Right. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to rush him. I'm going to shoot him. Right. And just to, just to let you know something else about having gun laws and concealed carry and all this, the moment you pull your gun, even though you're the innocent person, that's called aggravated assault. And you go to jail. So that's why you've got to know what you're going to do before you do it. Would you say that's true, Jason? Yeah, that's absolutely. You've got to plan and prepare ahead because then you'll be able to survive these encounters. Right. Uh, first guest was Dr. Sudi Jasser, my MD, but he's head of the American Islamic Forum for Doc- Democracy. And he shares his point of view, what's it like to be a Muslim and have guys like my friend Trump say, keep all the Muslims out. Then we have Jason Hansen, a secret agent. He's a CIA guy. He's founder of Spy Escape and Evasion is how you are ready in case they do get kidnapped, casualty, or shot. And now we have the third guest, J.D. Potensky. It's a former Green Beret and now with Northern Red Training. What does Northern Red Training do? Yeah, so we're, we're in the private military company space. We do, uh, we do training mostly for military and law enforcement, and we do some private security work as well. Good. Thank you. And the reason I wanted J.D. on is because he's – what, what – what theater were you in, Afghanistan or Iraq or Kuwait? Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough with luck and timing to have done them both. Okay. <laughs> Lucky. And what we're talking about here is because my friend owns a gun store, and he says that right after San Bernardino, he says, man, business was good. He says we sold 100-plus handguns in two days. The next question I asked him, I said, did you sell training with it? And they go, no, no, no. They just want to load up and put their Glock 17 or 22, whatever they have in their pocket, and they walk out. And the reason I wanted J.D. in is because he's going to talk about something personal that most of us have never had the opportunity to do, and that's kill somebody. Now, if you're buying a handgun, you're getting ready to kill somebody. It's not self-defense. You know, it's like they call it the U.S. Defense Department. It used to be called the War Department. When you buy a gun, you've got to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually ready to use it. And the reason I say that is because when I was in Vietnam, I was a gunship pilot, and I shot a lot. You know, my rockets, machine guns going, but I never saw anybody I killed. And so that's why I'm saying to all of you out there, just because you buy that little 9mm or 40 cal Glock doesn't mean you're ready to do what the gun is supposed to do. So that's why we have J.D. to talk about how you prepare mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to use that gun. Welcome to the program, J.D. Awesome, Robert. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So would you mind telling us, you know, it's quite personal, the first person you shot and killed? Yeah, so, you know, it, it was uh, it was for sure in Iraq. Uh, it was, it was uh, my first or second one was during, was during a, uh, it was probably reactive combat, or reactive contact uh, while, while we're during, making movement in Iraq. And, uh, you know, I, we, we had talked about it and I said, hey, you know, I, I didn't have a huge, you know, kind of emotional response to it or, you know, hey, was it some life-changing event for me? Um, you know, I kind of, I, I, I was really grounded in what, what I was there for and why I was there. 
And, you know, any thoughts of, you know, I did a good job of, of programming myself mentally and being prepared. That's what um, I'm talking about. You were programmed to do it. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I, and I worked on a lot of that myself. And basically what it came down to was, you know, all the things that are natural for human beings to fear, right, in our reptilian brain that we feel fear and self-preservation or cowardice, all these other things that are possible. You know, it has been my experience that, hey, you know, what allows us to move in spite of that, kill right. somebody in spite of that is that we care about something more than our fear, our own personal thoughts. And so for me in that situation, uh, I knew that the people that I worked with depended on me to do my job. I'm a professional and I'm predictable. And that means when somebody meets the criteria, I will do my job. So who was, who was the first person you shot? Uh, I was Iraqi. uh, Was he a combatant? Was he a combatant? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So so you were prepared for that. When you buy that Glock or whatever you buy, question is the next step is as jason is saying are you prepared to do what that gun is designed to do does that make sense to you jason right oh, I'm sorry. Well, J- i mean i mean jd excuse me i'm sorry jason's the last right. guy thank you no problem yeah so you're exactly right you know we do a lot of training for like i said military uh law enforcement we do we train civilians as well and and i'll tell them at the end of class our instructors will tell them hey our biggest frustration in in teaching folks is, is, hey, what they're really going to need on the day when they go to use this, when they go to apply these skills that we have taught them, is that we can't give that to them, right. what they're going to need on the day, right, which is mindset, decision-making, all those things. But what we do is try and frame up some stuff for them to think about, right, that, so they'll have some pre-made decisions. And we do a talk it's on awareness, preparedness, and willingness, but the one that I take time to talk about is willingness, right, because that's the one that people lie to themselves about the most. Right. People, you know, men lie typically that to themselves that they're going to be willing to do things that they're not. And women are the opposite way. Right. They think that they're not going to be willing to do uh, to do a whole bunch of stuff. And all the time you hear people say, if somebody touched my kids, I if somebody did something to my wife, I really here's the hammer. Right. Right. I think people need to to, you know, kind of address that with themselves. And, you know, you do that by examining, hey, what do I stand for? You know, what are my morals and values? And, you know, for, for us and for the job that, that I did uh, before when I used to deploy all the time, you know, I'd have people say to me like, hey, you know, like you keep deploying, you know, you're just, you're just looking for a reason to get yourself killed or you're looking for a reason to die. And I would say, hey, uh, I absolutely don't want to die. I love my life. However, I am prepared to die because I understand that there are things that I could have to live with that are worse than death. And I have a whole list of them. What's, what, what's, one, of the, what's one of the worst things that for you personally that was worse than death? Uh, I haven't experienced it, but cowardice for sure. Oh. Like, I, like cowardice is the top of my list. I would, I would die before that. You would have, should have, uh, you would have, should have, could have? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, no way, right? Like, because, you know, if you, examine, if you examine cowardice, which is good in, this, which is good in this, this space that we're talking about, when you examine cowardice, right, we already said that fear is, is, exists for all humans. Right. But but because we have a neocortex, we are allowed to feel courage and love that allow us to move in spite of our fear. So if I was ever a coward, what I am then saying to the guys that I am with, that I was doing my job with, I'm telling them I don't love them and I don't love their family and I don't love their kids. And I couldn't live with that. Right. So that's at the top of my list. And there's a bunch of other ones. Right. right. Like, I, understand. I wouldn't let it. You know, and the average person, when they're at the at the pistol range with their new Glock, they're not thinking about that yet. 
So once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Today we're talking about terrorism, you know, after San Bernardino and Paris and it's, you know, people and Mr. Trump saying that he can keep them out. I don't think he can keep out of a philosophy or an ideology. They'll pop up everywhere now. They could be sitting next door to you at your house. So our first guest was Sudi Jasser, uh, founder and president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's a Muslim. He served in the U.S. Navy. Jason Hansen, former CIA agent, founder of Spy Escape, and right now we're talking to J.T. Potensky, former Green Beret, now with Northern Red Training, and we're talking about being prepared for the moment. You have to know it before you pull that trigger, and that's how far we've come down on this whole thing now, because if you think Mr. Trump or what's the name, Hillary, is going to protect you from ISIS, I think you're crazy, because it's now coming down to milliseconds you're going to make that decision. And that's why we're talking to J.D. about it, because he's actually had to shoot people. And it's not the most pleasant feeling in the world. So after you buy that Glock with your 9 millimeter and your box of bullets, now you better start thinking about what you do next. Any other comments you want to have for them, J.D.? Yeah, I think one, one of the biggest ones is, hey, people have what we call the delusion of time in their mind when they think about you know, a crisis situation. A lot of people like to think, well, I will think my way out of it. Uh, well, I will talk, I will talk yeah. my way out of it. I, said, well, I, I, I wish my wife was here because she says, I'll just talk my way out of this. I'll right. tell, them, that, I'll tell them why why they shouldn't shoot me or kidnap me. Or, right. and that's, and, and you know, the, that's her delusion. Under, right. And what they don't understand is like, hey, you understand. You, you can pick up things in a business deal immediately that other people aren't going to see. And you're able to do it fast because you've had a continued exposure to reps. These people have never seen people getting shot and getting killed. So it's a delusion because they think that they're going to have time that they are not going to have. Right. Right. That time's not going to be there. So what I tell people to frame it up is you need to have some pre-made decisions. So the example that I use is, you know, hey, we train, obviously, as a Green Beret. And guys will be like, hey, man, you're, you're a super, you know, super bad guy. You're, you're, you know, the toughest guy around. If somebody stuck a gun in your face and asked you for your wallet, you know, what would you do? Would you take it from them? And I tell them, hey. If he asks for my wallet, I give it to him because there's nothing in my wallet worth him dying over. I'm not dying. Worth him dying over. <laughs> that's optimism. He, that's good. <laughs> yeah. If, if, he, if he asks for my wife, I kill him. <laughs> that's right. You know, so the, I know uh, already where that decision is. It's yeah. pre-made. Well, Jason Hansen, you know, the former CIA agent, is, is somebody walked into a Christmas party with, with an AR. He said the first thing is pull his gun and shoot him. He wouldn't even think about it. He'd rush him, pull the trigger, and shoot. And I think that's what we're talking about here. You have to kind of know what you're going to do before you're going to do it. Let me ask you this. Will gun laws stop ISIS or terrorism or robberies? Yeah, you know, obviously, absolutely not, right? I mean, they have it. You know, we, we, we see 8 million. We've probably seen 5,000 pictures of the two guns that were used in that crime, and we've seen zero of the, you know, 200 AKs that were caught on this side of the border as guys were transporting people, right? We're not going to see any pictures of those. So, you know, it's an absolute fallacy. I believe it's a distraction from what's the other, you know, pertinent issues in this country. You know, everybody now, I think, is getting to a point where they realize that it's it's a lost cause to even continue that conversation. Right. And that's why my my gun shop up the street here, the guy says, people who said, I'm against guns, but I'm buying a gun. Have you seen that happening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there are people who are catching on. To, the, to what is going to be the new normal? It's your right? uh, it's your responsibility, not the police, not uh, government, not government, not Trump, or not uh, Obama. It's up to you at that moment, right? Right. I mean, we have to we have to adopt a mindset that the world is a dangerous place, and that ultimately, 
people are responsible for their own safety, and I think they have to examine their moral obligation to presenting uh, or to protecting the people they care about. So in your Christmas party example, while that sounds great and heroic, I ask myself, who's at the Christmas party, right? Because, hey, uh, I have a loyalty chain, right? I can only have unconditional loyalty to one person or thing, and everybody else has conditions. So I have a loyalty chain that I operate under, and if my wife and kids are there, uh, depending on how I view that and what I can live with, my job may be to get them out first because they are above everybody else at that Christmas party. So you wouldn't shoot right? first. Maybe, maybe not, right? right? Because then that goes that goes into the, hey, what can I live with? Now, I personally probably can't live with standing by while a bunch of people, innocent people get killed when I have the ability to stop it. However, most people have, the point is most people haven't assessed that in themselves. So when you look at teachers and school shootings or mass shootings or, you know, all these other things like, hey, the, the teachers have had to ha- ask themselves the question, am I willing to die to protect the kids in my classroom? And if I'm not, then I need to just run because I'm an adult and I'll get away faster than they will. If I am, then I need to have a plan. So let me ask right? you this, so, Ken. Can ISIS be defeated? Uh, no, I, I think that, I think that, that you know, that's, that's one of these conversations that's probably like, you know, some kind of welfare reform or something. We'll kick it around forever. Uh, I think there are strategies to, to doing that. But the, the first question you have to answer is, what does winning look like? You have to tell me, hey, what does success look like? How do we know when we've won? right before I can define if they can be defeated, right? Because I don't think we've even clearly said what that is yet in the conversation, not our conversation, but in, but in the, you know, the global conversation, what's, what's winning look like? What's victory? Right. How does a person prepare for what we're talking about? I mean, you can't just stand there and pop at a 25-yard target because I mean, in a real-life situation, it's not that. You don't just stand there and shoot, right? Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different answers to that question. It's like one is, hey, absolutely, you, you have to have some fundamentals to be able to use a pistol the right way and, and know that you're going to hit where you aim at and that stuff. That's one piece. I think there's, there's you know, scenario-based training that allows you to make decisions under pressure and see how you would act. And, you know, you can do that with sim rounds and shoot other people. But I think the biggest thing you have to do uh, for people who are not going to put that kind of time into training is, is be realistic uh, with what they're willing to do, asking them, them que- those questions, and then apply logic to the situation. So, you know, I'll, I'll use home invasion for, for the example. Like a lot of people keep a gun in their bedroom. Well, my kids are playing in my front yard, and, and something's going on in my yard. Somebody rolls up in a van to grab them. Am I going to run to my bedroom and run back out? Right? Like, hey, you've got you to apply logic there, right? No, I have a gun in the front room right next right. to the window. And, and I think that that's, that's where people need to start is say, hey, what am I willing to do? Be honest about it, as honest as they can, and then make sure that their plan uh, is, in, is, is congruent with that and that they've applied logic to how they're actually going to be prepared on the day. That's great advice. That's great advice. So what does Northern Red Training do? Can, are you open for civilians and fat old guys? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we are. We, we, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, we, we keep pretty busy with the, with the military and law enforcement side. And, you know, we're, we're kind of – you know, our mission is up to kind of bridge the critical information gap from the special operations community mm-hmm. to the regular army, to the law enforcement community, and also to civilians. You know, if they're, we love training. There's plenty of great civilians in this country, and we offer you know, probably 20, 30 classes a year that they can attend, uh, different, different places all over the country to get out because, hey, the truth belongs to everybody. Only lies belong to individuals. We're like, hey, if you guys want to come out and train with us and spend your time, uh, we love to have them. I wish my wife Kim was here. Because, you know, she doesn't, she, she, she thinks she is going to talk somebody out 
from kidnapping and killing her. She says, I'll just talk him out of it. I'm going, okay. Last night, uh, there was a fly came in the house, and I killed it. And she was so upset, you know. She says, why don't you show the fly out the door? I said, because it's easier to kill it. You know, so that's husband and wife, you know, and all this. But the other point here is this. this is after San Bernardino or whatever it was, my friend who owns a gun store, he says they sold over 100 handguns in the weekend. And it's, it's not anybody but normal people now. They say, I'm, I'm anti-guns, but I better have a gun. And so that's what's happening now. So our guest today, we're Dr. Sudi Jasser. He's my personal MD. He's a great doctor, very bright guy, but he uh, you know, his family escaped from Syria, but he is the founder and president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And he is a Muslim American. He served in the U.S. Navy as lieutenant commander. He's been on CNN, CBS, Fox, MSNBC, and BBC. And he gives the Muslim perspective as a Muslim American. And, and I talked about how it felt to be Japanese because when you know, we didn't, after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, I wasn't there, but uh, they locked us up. You know, it's that terror, that fear. You know that, and my family decided what they're going to do about. They're going to fight, and so I had seven uncles go to World War II, two in the Pacific, five in Europe, and they all came back, thank God. But one was captured by the Japanese. One of the only two Japanese captured by the Japanese, and they tortured him bad. So he spent the rest of his life going back after his captor. He was going to kill him. You know, the guy was almost, you know, it's a vendetta. And when he finally caught up to his captor, he didn't kill him. Okay. And that's kind of the gist of the program because people are talking about ISIS, they're talking about gun control, they're talking about my friend Donald Trump, you know, he says, lock, you know, don't let Muslims in, his popularity soars, everybody gets upset because he's politically incorrect. You know, but it's not about that. The question is, today's issue is, what are you going to do? You know, let's say you're at that Christmas party or your kid's school, you have terrorists at your school, would you let them shoot your kid, you know? And my wife, you know, just, oh, I'll just talk him out of it. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And so she sits there, oh, I don't have to worry. I'm a good person and nothing will happen to me. And that is kind of an attitude. So that's why we had Jason Hansen, former CIA agent, who was the founder of Spy, Escape, and Evasion. His website is spyescapeandevasion.com. He'll train you how to, what to do when you get kidnapped. You know, when I'm on the road, I was in the Philippines, I have two bodyguards because kidnapping by... I think it's Abu Sayyad, is very big. It's very profitable. Mexico kidnapping is very profitable. You know, the police are kidnappers now because that's, they get paid more to kidnap than to be a police officer. And the second and the third person was J.D. Potensky. He's a former Green Beret, but he trains our military as well as our uh, police officers how to combat terrorism. So the real purpose of this Rich Dad Pro, and his, and his website is northernredtraining.com. So I thank all of my guests. The real thing of this program here is what are you going to do? Are you prepared for that moment? You have to make that decision. And you make that decision before the situation arises. For example, for me, since coming back from Vietnam, I've had three instances where guns were involved. And thank God I didn't have to shoot again. You know, one was that a guy pulled a gun at me in a theater. And next thing I had uh, five people as burglars inside my house. And they had guns. And then the third time was just recently in the mountains of Arizona where a crackhead and a meth, meth dealer came out with his little Glock and shot at us. It was three of us with M16s, full auto. And we stood there for two hours. We, sh- we should have shot him because he had already shot at us. 
but we didn't kill him. And that's what I'm talking about is that moment prior to you're prepared for. So all you guys out there buying your Glock 17s and 9mm, you got to know what you're going to do and more than just target shoot. So this is the most popular part of our program. It's called Ask Robert. You can submit your questions to richdadradio.com. So, Melissa, what are some of the questions that are relative to today's program? Our first question today, Robert, comes from Cooper in Orlando, Florida. Favorite book, Unfair Advantage. He said, what good is it to stockpile guns and bullets, as you say, after seeing what happened in San Bernardino? Well, you have to ask that question. You may not be the brightest guy on earth. That's what I want to say here. The whole point of this program here is the reason you have guns and bullets is to you got to know how to use them prior to using them. And that's why we have, you know, Spy Escape and Invasion that was on Shark Tank with Damon John. He sees the big business there is training. I've t- I take gun training to this day because I want to know what I'm going to do when I use it. But I am prepared to use it. But I also said when I was in Vietnam, even though I was trained to use it, I didn't have the guts. I didn't want to kill somebody. So you want to have it just in case you have to use it. But you want to know what you're going to do. As Jason Hansen said, if somebody comes into a Christmas party carrying an AK-47, he knows what he's going to do immediately. He's going to just shoot him because he's not supposed to be there in that situation. And Jason's book is called um, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. You take them out fast. That's what the police officer said to me when I was in Pine Top, Arizona. He says, when that guy fired his Glock 17 with 9 millimeter rounds in it and we're standing there with AK-47, I mean uh, M16s, he says, why didn't you just kill him? It would save us a lot of paperwork. That was the policeman's attitude. You know, he says, that guy's nuts. You should have just shot him. But people don't think that way. So in that situation, thank God that my two friends, they're all, they're all like J.D. Patinsky. They're all veterans. And we had the time to think. So that's why just buying a gun is not enough. And that's what this program is about. Because I'll say it again, Mr. Trump can't stop them. Obama can't stop them. Hillary can't stop them. You know, you can lock them out, but it's a philosophy. It's an ideology. Those guys at the Oklahoma bombing, I forget the guy's name. Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh. You know, they weren't Muslims. This is not a Muslim thing. This is the sixth society we live in today, unfortunately. And Mr. Obama thinks the way to solve this problem is take our guns away. (laughs) Yeah, he can take his gun away, but I'm not going to do that. So we have a choice in this matter. And the real question is, what are you going to do before you have to do something? So what's the next question, Melissa? Our next question comes from Kyle in Midland, Texas, favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He says, if cash will become trash, what do you think will emerge as the new currency after the crash? That's a great question because we've had a lot of preppers on this program, um, and they're really, really more pessimistic than I am. You know, to be successful today, you need to be a pessimist as well as an optimist. So that's why it's important to be both a pessimist and an optimist. And that's all I'm saying right now. So the question again was what, Melissa? The question is, if cash will become trash, what do you think will emerge as the new currency? Bullets. Okay. That's what my friends are saying. What they're saying is that you should stockpile bullets because, you know, let's say you have a house and you have kids and you have some chickens. Well, you can't buy the chickens, so they come and steal them. So what becomes, and like I said, most people can't afford gold and silver. See, there's four precious metals, gold, silver, guns, and bullets. So you need a gun, but you also need bullets so you can trade. You know, bullets become money. 
So, you know, the most popular rounds are like 223, 9 millimeter, 45, and stuff like that. So bullets become the new money. And that's one of the reasons I've stockpiled tens of thousands of rounds, not because I plan to shoot tens of thousands of people, but if, you know, that 10% chance that the currency does collapse, which it might, then bullets, guns, gold, and silver, food, water become the new money. And it's just a way of being a pessimist so I can sleep at night. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from William in Montana, favorite book, Unfair Advantage. It says, what steps should we be taking now to get prepared for the upcoming crash of 2016? Well, that's a good question, but I'd also say be as pessimistic as you can. And that's kind of the attitude a person needs to have. But the real purpose of this program is I think it's really stupid to be discussing ISIS and gun control and what my friend Trump says or what Hillary says, you know, because it comes down to about you. If you're at that Christmas party or your kids are in school and somebody shows up, even though they're a Christian with an AK-47, you're not going to shoot them? What are you going to do? And it's like my wife says, I'm going to talk them out of it. You know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm prepared to do what I have to do. The reason I wanted J.D. Patinsky on it is most people have never shot somebody. It's not fun. It leaves a pit in your stomach. And those are the decisions a person needs to be prepared to think. Because as the saying goes, when seconds count, the police are hours away. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.